0: Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 the zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. What is going on? I can tell you one thing that's going on tonight, E60, 5.30 Mountain Time. Got a big feature on Alex Smith and his rehab from that injury and his, his hopeslash desire to play football. So, uh, you got that to look forward to if you're looking for something to watch. It's kind of got a local angle. The former Ute, can he come back? Can he play more? Yeah, he'll talk about that, and you'll see all the stuff he's going through. So you got that coming up later today. Uh, as far as our show coming up later today, Friday, we always have David Locke on, and we'll talk to him about the CNBC report that came out right at the end of the show yesterday about some NBA executives and agents calling for the season to be canceled. That's not really surprising when you think how many NBA agents there are, and when you think how many NBA executives there are. I mean, some of them have got to want to cancel the season, right? There was a story. It was one of the worst things in that story. One Western Conference team has lost $50 million and would prefer the season to be canceled. Golden State Warriors. Warriors! It's the Warriors! <laughs> they got a massive payroll, and they got a terrible team because everybody was hurt. All right, uh, coming up, we're going to talk with uh, Joe Ingles. We've got uh, Jeff Ferrado, who covers the Cal Bears. But right now, it's time for a partner profile.
1: It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network.
0: We are joined now by Golden Holt. He wears many hats, but right now we are speaking to him as the guy behind the Sleepy Ridge Golf Empire. All right, maybe empire's too much, Golden. But it's a nice-looking course. Well, we like to... We'd like to think so. The clubhouse, people come in and
2: think they're at the Grand America Hotel or something because their clubhouse is certainly grand.
0: Well, with the partner profile, we've done a lot of, uh, PK and I have done a lot of remotes from a lot of charity golf tournaments. We probably couldn't even name all the courses, uh, but we've been to yours several times, and in this uh, partner profile, we like to kind of talk to people about how they're adjusting to the new normal. We've talked to some golf people over time, so you're probably doing some of the same things, but everybody puts their own little twist on it. How have you adapted? Because I've heard you're, you're open, and, and Yach has played there, so uh, he said it's pretty crowded.
2: Yeah, it's been a really interesting spring with the virus in golf. Uh, As you know, every golf course and county is treating a little bit differently. We've been open since the beginning of the virus with all the social distancing guidelines. So as you know, most courses you've got, you know, styrofoam in the cups so nobody's touching the the pins. You got no rakes in the bunkers to to take and transmit disease. Reservations only, credit card payments, uh, social distancing on the range. So we've been open and been very, very busy, but it's interesting because it's been very efficient busy. We don't let people come to the course unless they have a tea time. So it's, been, it's worked quite well for us. We do carts, but usually a single rider. Uh, so all the crazy things has changed the golf world, too.
3: Now, I've actually been down there for multiple wedding receptions. I know you can't be doing that right now, but that's something that Sleepy Ridge is known for
2: yeah we uh do over two hundred and fifty weddings there at Sleepy Ridge with the environment of the golf course and the views and the grounds. It's turned out really well, but you're right. we haven't done one wedding this year, so we can't figure a way to do pull that off. but the new guidelines we're looking to get back open for weddings in another month in starting in June, but there's gonna have to be some guidelines with that too so it's been it's been a different spring for us for sure.
0: So I mentioned you wear several hats for people who don't know. You were the basketball coach at Orem High for a while. You've been really involved with the AAU scene. Is that whole scene this summer going to shut down? Are we going to see any youth sports at all, you think?
2: Boy, I don't know, and I'm not as connected as I once was, but boy, just the whole travel, you know, starting at the travel industry and down, I just don't know how people are going to gather in sports in general. I mean, you guys, I'm sure have talked a lot about it, just the physical contact and all it goes. It's It's everybody waiting to see and hold your breath, but uh, there's certainly consequences to not being together and not having youth having opportunities. And We've had so many people at the golf course say thank you for being open, and they're they're sincere about it. To to get out of the house and go hang out with some guys in a a safe, smart way has been something that uh, people need, and so being uh, locked down for months isn't healthy for youth or for adults.
3: Yeah, I was wondering, you know, the weather has been very dry. I think they said that we had the driest April, and we'll see what May brings. But for the short-term forecast in the next week, it looks pretty good. So with the golf courses being one of the few things that you can do, how has business been compared to, say, whatever year at this time of year over the last few years? Well,
2: in a in an almost feel guilty way, our golf course because of everybody suffering in so many other ways with the virus and stuff being so serious. But the the truth of the answer is our revenue in April was double this year what it was last year. Right. Last year was a wet a wet April, um, and so that obviously with golf impacts lot, up. We've had a beautiful weather April, and then with some courses closed and others having restrictions. We've we've doubled our, our revenue now. In my little empire world, we did zero <laughs> revenue in wedding business, so it's not like a windfall. But the golf side has been really, really busy.
0: So, of course, it's always uh, you know how this translates to all the employees and all that. And uh, I would assume then that the uh, you know the food services on site have you had to shut those down?
2: We've just done the takeout, like you would at uh, a McDonald's or anything else. So, no no sitting areas, no gathering areas. We followed all of the state guidelines and uh, just tried to be smart. So our grill's been open, but only on a to-go basis.
3: So what's your handicap, Golden? I never asked you that.
2: (laughs) I got to about 11 and a half i compare it. It's funny because you talk about different things that we all do and enjoy. People think because you own a golf course that you're really a good golfer. And I use the analogy of bank tellers. I say, you know, those bank tellers don't really get to take home that money every night. You know? and so because you own a golf course
3: doesn't really mean you have a great game. Well, I know you're a tall golfer. I can give you that.
2: Yeah, I just try to croquet up the fairway at my age now. The the sad thing is, I used to, when they talk about these high risk groups, it was never me. It's always somebody else, but I'm, I'm hitting that high risk group, so I've got to be smart with everybody else.
0: Nice. Excellent. Uh, so, do you, uh, because things are constantly changing, uh, do you have any idea? Have you been able to get any advice on how things might be different for your business in 30, 60, 90 days out? Or like the rest of us, you're just flying blind and trying to adapt to whatever the newest thing is?
2: We're all flying blind a little bit, as you know, waiting for, for next week's information to tell us what we're going to do or not do with public guidelines. But the one thing we talked about in the golf community, in Utah, we've been, we have so many great golf courses and so much opportunity. Uh, we do something that most of the country doesn't do, which kind of works against the golf business, and that is you don't require a credit card deposit for a reservation or a tee time. And now, the, now, because of the virus, you have to have a credit card in your tee time because you can't have extra people waiting to play. So the walk-in golfer has been kind of driving Utah golf for a long time, and we're talking about changing that so you don't have additional people waiting and keep social distancing better. And as you know, if you travel the country, you gotta you got to get a tee time and give them a credit card to hold your spot. If you think about it, let's call the Jazz and say, just hold my ticket. I might or might not show up. It's kind of an unusual thing where the golf world in Europe I just let you make a time without any reservation with a credit card so we're talking about doing that in the future and that may limit uh, it'll limit how many people are there at one time kind of waiting and keeping social distancing at least in place to a better better level
3: one of the things I've noticed I was up at Wasatch the other day and I played the uh, the mountain course and I've been down to talons uh, three or four times and I, I guess there, are they spacing out the times because I've been able to play. The flow has been a lot quicker, and I haven't had to sit there and stand there and wait. Is that because they're spacing out times that is allowing that to, to happen to where the wait time in between shots and holes isn't nearly as long?
2: Well, that's a great question. Uh, and normally you have one empty tee time in your eight-minute rounds per hour, uh, but now everybody's putting two in because they want to make sure uh, distancing is kept, and then with no walk-in traffic, you literally have great pace of play. I've played a couple times, and I, I couldn't believe the dollars and the, the amount of traffic were turning through, but it's very efficient. If you played Pelican Hills or any of these other great courses, they have that time right on the front of the cart, 8.06, 8.14, every, every round is $300 to them, so every the efficiency of how other courses have done it is what's now happening with, with kind of the virus dictating you know, people coming and going, and everybody shows up for their teeth time, because I know it's very precious and valuable because it's hard to get on golf courses right now.
0: Hmm. Well, Golden, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, talking with us. And what's what's the number on the website if people want to uh, get a time?
2: 801-434-GOLF is the Sleepy Ridge number. Easy one to do. We appreciate all you guys' help. You guys have helped us with several charitable events and several causes, so we really appreciate you guys and our partnership.
0: All right. Hey, Golden, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Golden Holt for coming on talking Sleepy Ridge Golf Course. We've been there for a lot of charity tournaments over the years. There, Thanksgiving Point, a lot of Salt Lake City, Salt Lake County courses. But we've been up in the Heber Valley to multiple courses up there as well. I think we do a a lot of golf tournaments most summers. It'll probably be different this year. All right, DJ and PK, coming up next, the Cal Bears. The spring tour continues.
1: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the
0: Zone Sports Network app.
1: From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, time now to talk with Jeff Ferrato Covers the Cal Bears. Co-publisher of the Cal Sports Report. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Jeff, good morning.
4: Hey, how you guys doing out there?
0: Oh, we're we're doing well. We can't complain. How are you doing?
4: Uh, hanging in there. It's uh, strange times, that's for sure. Yeah. But uh, we're all good.
0: So, Cal is coming off one of the most unusual seasons I think I've ever seen. Eight and five overall, four and five in conference play, and it really just came down to do you have the starting quarterback or not? I mean, we can analyze everything else to death, but if Chase Garber started and played the game, Cal was great, and if he didn't, it was terrible.
4: Well, and you guys out there at Salt Lake saw the. The greatest example of that uh, when Cal went out there to play Utah and just got annihilated, thirty-five to nothing. They didn't have garbage for that game. Uh, he had a broken collarbone that missed some time with, and then he had a concussion. He missed a little bit more time. Um, when he plays more than half the game, the last two years, they're thirteen and two. Uh, they're pretty good when he's available, um, and um, not so good at all when he's not. Um, they had some other injury problems, but he's really the key. You're right. So um, if they can keep him upright, keep him healthy, um, they feel like offensively they should be you know, quite a bit better than they've been.
3: So then that leads us to the defense, uh, all defensive linemen. I think uh, uh, three of them, the starters, and there was other guys who played, but uh, basically the starters were seniors. Uh, a couple of guys in the defensive backfield. Cal has been great at putting defensive backs in the NFL. And then you got the guy who made like 500 tackles a year, uh, Mr. Evan Weaver, at linebacker, and I think he went to the Cardinals maybe in the sixth round, was it? But uh, So they're losing a fair amount on defense. How's that going to be? Well, they're injury? losing a little bit
4: less than you think. Um, on the defensive line, uh, Luke Paquette at the end, and Zionde Johnson, um, the defensive tackle, Both were seniors, but both were granted six years of eligibility because of past injuries. So their defensive line returns intact. The other one is Brett Johnson, the nose guard, who was forced to play a lot as a true freshman last year. And they're pretty excited about him. He played fairly well. Um, You're right. They lose three high-profile guys. They lose two defensive backs, Ashton Davis, Jalen Hawkins, and they lose Weaver. All three were drafted. Um, Ashton Davis went in the third round. Um, you know, you're not going to replace Weaver's production because he had 182 tackles last year and 150-something the year before. But that's all they've lost on defense. They've got, you know, seven or eight starters back, I think, there. Um, they feel like they've got some other guys to move around in the secondary. Uh, they're taking um, Elijah Hicks, one of their corners, and moving him to safety to give him some experience there. And then they've got Cam Bynum, um, who's a pretty good corner. He'll be back. Um, so defensively, you know, they're not bad. Uh, uh, Coyne Ding, who was the other inside linebacker, had well over 100 tackles last year. He returns. And Cameron Good, an outside linebacker, who's, is very fast. Um, had a couple, He's had pick sixes a couple of times in his career. Um, he stayed healthy all last year, and, and he is back. Um, I think defensively they're solid. They, probably, they lost the headliners, but, but they're going to be pretty decent there.
0: Talking Cal football right now with uh, Jeff Verado covers the uh, Cal Bears. You know, I think for keeping Garbers healthy, and I'm probably oversimplifying this, but watching the games, they got to run him less. It seems like he runs off tackle, he's got decent speed, not great, but decent, and he gets there and the linebacker hits him, flops on him, and you're like, oh, here we go again, he's out again. Are they going to keep running him, or are we going to see a change in philosophy where they, they try to protect him a little bit and let the running backs do the running?
4: Well, they've got a new offensive coordinator uh, this year, Bill Musgrave, who's got a NFL background. Um, I, I think that they will continue to run him because that's one of the things he provides them. He's a, he's a very good athlete. He's, he's pretty fast. Um, but I also think that they've uh, stressed to him the importance of getting down when he's about to get hit. You know, slide. Don't take the hit. Don't try to get the extra two yards. Um And I think that has sunk in. I think he gets that. Um, I expect he would run a little less than he did, but they're not going to take that away from him and they're not going to take that away from their offense. Um, But that's one of the reasons he's effective. In the last three games last year, he he threw the ball really well, but he also had a running touchdown in each game. In fact, uh, they beat Stanford the first time in 10 years, and they won the game on an 18- or 19-yard scramble for a touchdown that he ran. Um, So... That's one of his weapons. It's an asset for them, and they're going to use that. Uh, they're just going to try to keep him upright in the pocket when when he's dropping back to pass, um, and they're going to encourage him to slide at all costs when he's uh, scrambling out and trying to run.
3: So in addition to Musgrave as the offensive coordinator, the Bears have got a new offensive line coach. They've got a new running back coach. Uh, Yates comes over from Arizona, defensive backs coach. So you got a total, I think it's a four new full-time assistants. And without spring ball, how much is that hurting them?
4: Well, you know, it's interesting because we talked to uh, Garbers about, uh, you know, you you think uh, with a new offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach, um, you know, the language is different. Um, They're doing some different things. Um, But Garbers said, you know, they had four practices. And he said that uh, he figured it out pretty quickly. He feels comfortable with it already. Um, But you're right. You know, every team, you know, missed some or all of their spring practice. And um, for teams that change coaches, and they have four new ones, as you said, um, I think there's a a period of of transition. Uh, The biggest loss, uh, you know, in that group is probably Gerald Alexander, the defensive backs coach we did a spectacular job for them and he went to the NFL. Um, so they liked him obviously. Um, you know, they grew great with the offensive line coach, uh, for the, you know, his coach the O-line in college for 30 something years. He just retired. So, um, and then Bo Baldwin became the head coach at, uh, Cal Poly and took the running backs coach with him as his offensive coordinator. And so Baldwin was under some pressure. Um, he was probably beating the, the posse out of town a little bit because, uh, People were not happy with what their offense was doing. So that's probably going to be helpful to Cal. And, and I think that Garbers is embracing what, what they're going to get um, with uh, Musgrave in place. Um, and, you know, they're going to have however much time they're going to have to prepare whenever that starts. And um, we'll see. But he seemed comfortable and he seemed to be um, getting a grasp on the offense. And now they just got to get on the practice field at some point and, and try to work on it.
0: I was really stunned last year by how small the crowds were at UCLA and Stanford home games. I mean, there are 12,000 people in the stands. It was unbelievable. Cal doesn't have that issue, but I think there are definitely issues, and they're not drawing like they were five or ten years ago. And I think there's an argument to be made. It's really academic Campus, it's really hard to get there. Maybe there isn't that much interest in football there the way there is other places. But I think a lot of that's been true for 20, 30, 40 years. So that makes the last 10 different. And this isn't a school that's had a lot of success. You can't say they're not winning the way they used to because they haven't been to the Rose Bowl since 59. So what is going on the last, you know, 10 years or so as attendance there slumps, although not as badly as some other Pac 12 schools?
4: Well, um, I'm not sure you you made reference to home game against Stanford. Are you talking about Cal home game. Against I'm talking Stanford? about Cal, and, and it's not yeah, they're okay. not taking a hit Stanford Cal for at Stanford last year, not at home. No, I'm talking Stanford. just ran,
0: I'm talking the Cal oh, games over I the course gotcha. of six games. They're, yeah, they're taking a hit, not what Stanford's taking at their six home games. The Cal crowd looks better than that, but it still doesn't look yeah. like it looked to me in 2005.
4: Well, I mean. When Tedford had a rolling and they went to bowl games seven years in a row and had Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch and Deshaun Jackson, and, you know, they were pretty good. Um, And and there was a lot of interest at that point. Um, And then they got pretty bad. Um, And, uh, you know, Sonny Dykes was there for four years and he had one good year and they couldn't stop anybody defensively at all. Um, And people were frustrated with that. But I think one of the other things that's happened is that – is that during this last 10 years is when sort of the scheduling has changed and they play a lot more night games in the Pac-12 now. I don't think uh, all fans are enamored with that. They may love it in the Southeastern Conference, but I know Cal fans haven't embraced that. It's Like you said, it's not an easy place to get to because it's there's not a lot of parking there. So you've got to take public transportation, you can take BART, and then you've got to take a shuttle bus that takes you up to the stadium. And if you're... You know, if you're an older fan, and they got a lot of older older alums and fans, and and the game ends at 11:20 or 11:40, and now you got to go down there and wait for the shuttle bus to take you to Bart or take you to your car, you're not getting home until one in the morning. And I think a lot of people, especially when the team was not very good, you know, said, "Hey, they're they're scheduling these games at night. They're telling me to watch them on TV, so I'm going to do that." And that's hurt them, I think. I also, though, think that. If they get good, if they improve, I think people will come. Um, the Bay Area is a place where there's a lot to do, typically, not anything to do right now. But, um, and, you know, they, fans come out to events when there's, when there's something to see uh, because if there's not, there's something else to do. Um, if they get good and they stay good, I think they'll bring fans back. But it's not going to be a place where they ever get 60,000 average, you know. But um, they need to do better, that's for sure.
3: So reading up on what Musgrave is going to do, I understand that he's going to put in a fullback. Is that something that is part of a new offense that he's looking to incorporate?
4: Well, they did they did introduce that in spring, but like we said, they only had four practices. Right. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be an every-down thing. I think they want to have that as part of their package. I think they want to have – they played a lot of double tight ends last year. I think they'll do that at times. Um, I think they're trying to, try to do a lot of different stuff become real multiple. Um, uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit different offensively. Um, you know, Musgrave is kind of comes from more of a West Coast offense kind of background, and I, I think you'll see a lot more of that. I think you'll see a fullback at times, but I don't expect that to be more than six or eight or ten plays a game, perhaps. Um, but we haven't seen enough even in practice to know really what they're doing. But it will be there will be a full back at times. There's no question.
0: So as we do the spring tour and we talk to people at different schools, we've talked to people. Obviously, you know, Colorado and Washington have coaching changes, and especially at Colorado. Uh, they're talking about, man, there's so much heavy lifting to be done there, and now you get a new coach and no spring ball, and that's really going to set this season back. With an offensive coaching staff that's new this way, do you think it's that big a hit, or do you think it can be overcome and then capitalize on Garber's, his talent, his experience, and get the new system in in time to have a, a good year, assuming the season goes off on time?
4: Yeah, well, of course, that's the big variable that no one can predict. But, no, I think offensively they, they're going to be better than they've been for sure. And I think even with the coaching changes, I think I, I think when they they bring in Muska, I think that's an improvement. They've got every starter – who, who every player who started in the red box bowl of victory over Illinois is back um, that included one guy who didn't start all the time but basically all 11 guys from that game are returning um, they averaged 27 points a game in the last five games of the year last year after averaging 17 points a game the first eight including <laughs> excuse me including that shutout loss at, at Utah so they they gradually got healthy they started to figure things out um, and, it, and it wasn't just, um Garber's love got healthy. It was uh, the running back as well got healthy. You know, um, he was not um, – Christopher Brown Jr. was burned up much of the season. And then the last part of the season he had a couple hundred-yard games, so that gave him some some balance offensively that was important to them. I think, you know, you look at around the Pac-12 and almost everybody lost a quarterback. A lot of teams did. Um, Cal's got a quarterback returning who's been – Pretty effective when he's able to be on the field, so I think that gives them an edge. They've got a lot of experience. Their offensive line is back. It needs to be better, but they lost two two would be starters in the first week of the season last year. Two guys who would have started, they're both back as well. So basically, they got seven guys back who either started or would have last year. Um, you know, they gave up way too many sacks last year, but if they can get that figured out and and be competent on the offensive line i think offensively they can be pretty good not 40 points a game good but maybe 30 points a game good
3: so i think they only lose 12 seniors or so correct me if i'm wrong but i think i read that that was the number 12 seniors off the 2019 roster wilcox has been there now for a few years so can i argue that this is his best team that he's had since he's been there
4: Oh, I think it definitely has a chance to be. They you know, they were eight and five last year, but they were four and five in the conference. They believe they can you know, they can I believe they can win eight or nine or ten games in the regular season. The schedule is pretty favorable. They got uh, the North rivals that they're gonna have to compete with. Washington, Oregon, Stanford all at home. Those are home games. That will help them. Uh, I think you look at them and you go that's between them and Washington for second place in the North. Um, Stanford still got some issues. Um, I think they're going to be better than some people think, but they got a ways to go. Um, I think you know Cal can conceivably be the second best team behind Oregon in the North. Um, they've also got Utah at home, and Utah's got a lot to replace. Um, and you know the, the Cal Utah game last year was hardly a, a fair match. Cal went in there with its third string quarterback, a true freshman who'd never played. And he was, you know, he got knocked around pretty good. Um, and so you know they've, they've got an opportunity to to win some games because their home schedule is going to help them.
0: Jeff, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and, uh, and talking Cal football. It could be a really exciting season or it could be a massive disappointment. I think you can say that about a lot of teams, but it seems really true of Cal. They'll be a fun team to watch whenever we get to. Yeah start well, let's hope football. we have
4: a season. so right. uh, yeah.
3: you guys
0: stay safe out there. There's Jeff Ferrado, covers the Cal Bears. When we come back, Joe Ingles. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the
1: all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. The Zone Sports Network back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz.
0: Single
3: Bell.
1: Joe Ingalls
3: gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in.
1: And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This This is the Joe Ingalls Show. (laughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network.
0: The Joe Engel Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, go to mountainlandsupply.com. Joe, good morning. Hi, guys.
3: I know you can't be tired.
5: <laughs> now, Joe. No, I'm not, I'm very refreshed. <laughs> <laughs> you never got more sleep, right? I have uh, It's actually funny. I've, I've probably in my life probably never slept as well. Apart from probably when I was a baby, since my adult life, I've probably never slept as consistently in my life for sure. Yeah,
0: it's weird not having a plane ride until two in the morning, messing up your sleep patterns, isn't it?
5: Yeah, it's uh it's funny I used to Renee's a big one on sleep and like consistency of it and stuff like that and she would always say like it would take it takes a couple of weeks to kind of reset and, and get your your sleep cycle kind of as regular as possible um, obviously for us we, it was basically impossible really um, like you said with the flights and the get home at 3 or whatever, be up for a shoot-around at 10, like, it was literally just impossible. So Since uh, we've been doing this, I've I've been asleep. I think the latest I would have been asleep would be, like, 10, 10.30, and I've been up at 6.30 every morning with the kids, and um, it's, yeah, it's amazing. (laughs)
3: When was the last time, Joe, you have had eighty-degree weather and sunshine, and didn't have to be somewhere at a specific time during the course of the day?
5: I was actually sitting outside yesterday talking to Renee about this. Um, I, I honestly couldn't. I I couldn't really put a date on it. It's been it's been that long. Um, obviously, when I played in Australia, the season was during the summer. Um, so my last season there was like 08, 09, I think it was. Um, I have been lucky to play in Barcelona's and cities that have good weather, like not summer weather, but but nice. You can be outside in a T-shirt or whatever. Um, but like yesterday, I haven't, well, however long the last few days, it's been, um, yeah, I couldn't, probably 08, like 2008, 2009 when I played in Australia.
0: So is that a big factor when you're picking clubs in Europe? Because obviously we've had a lot of college players here go play in Europe, and we've had jazz players who played in and out of Europe, and some of them have awesome stories. You know, I, I went to Moscow, and we got on a train and went above the Arctic Circle and didn't see the sun for three days. I mean, that kind of stuff. It's just crazy. Uh, Barcelona, that, that's kind of a win. Is that a factor with people uh, picking their, uh, their European teams and they're trying to decide where to go play?
5: Um, sometimes beggars can't be choosers. I think. <laughs> I think if you, I was, I was really lucky to play in Grenada my first year. Which was looking back now, at the time I, um, I wouldn't be able to go back there now with with kids and all that. But when I was there by myself and and with Renee for a little bit uh, before she went home for her season. Um, I didn't mind it there. I was obviously really lucky to, to get offered a contract by Barcelona, and then obviously to get offered a contract by uh, Maccabi in, in Israel. So um, maybe different players, maybe better players than than I was in Europe. Um, can choose destinations or or have a choice out of two or three cities, and you get to pick which one kind of which one you want to live in. I didn't really have that choice. So I was. Really lucky now, looking back, to go to Granada and do what I did there. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, I got offered by a Barcelona. I wasn't going to say no to it, so I signed that right away. And then when I signed with Maccabi in Israel, I was talking to another team in Athens. So I was like, I either get to live in Israel, which I knew was beautiful, um, playing there a- against Maccabi, or go live in-, live in Athens. So that was probably the one time I got to choose. Um I chose to go to camp with the Clippers and got cut. And then, obviously, I didn't choose to come to Utah originally, but um, I would choose it over any other team now.
3: (laughs) We've heard some of our local guys, when they come back, tell us some horror stories about guys uh, trying to get money or just whatever type of conditions or they want you out, how they force you out. Do you have any little stories?
5: No, I was very, very lucky. Um Obviously, the last two teams I played for, Barcelona and, and Maccabi, were financially very stable. And Barcelona was basically funded by the soccer team, which obviously is, is bringing in ridiculous amount of money. Um, so we never had any problems with payments. Israel was the same. Um, Granada, my first year, players on my team had some issues and had some stuff. Um, I had a clause in my contract that I could leave if they didn't pay me within, like... However, kind of many days of what the payment date was, um, and the small team that we were, and the, the team that we had that year. I was there. We, we play. We finished the highest the club had ever finished that year, and um, so they were pretty desperate to keep us all there. So they were pretty good. Um, I got paid every dollar from my time in Europe. Um, some of my teammates didn't from from Granada, but the bigger clubs are obviously pretty stable. So. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I was pretty fortunate in that situation.
0: So uh, are you still, the world's so much smaller with texting and all that, are you still in, in touch with some of those uh, teammates and uh, are some of those guys still playing? Some are probably older and retired, I would assume, too, since you were so young then. I'm just curious what the, the basketball experience is right now around the world.
5: Yeah, um, definitely there's some playing, obviously some not. Um the last year I played in Maccabi, um, nearly all of those guys are still playing, and that's probably probably one of my closest group of friends. There's four or five guys. That, um, Sean James, um, who, who's actually a scout now for the Jazz, so he actually lives in Utah, which is awesome. Um, Gavin Smith, the guy also I played with, is what was actually Igor's assistant in Phoenix um, before Eagle got fired. Now he's with uh, the Minnesota G League team. So those couple guys I get to see a lot. There's a couple still playing in Europe. Um, but yeah, I still speak to a bunch of them. Um, obviously, the the guys that were playing in Europe are uh, back in America now, um, waiting to, to kind of see what happens. But yeah, I've, been, I've actually been pretty lucky along my career. And obviously, you hear a lot of stories about bad teammates or bad situations and guys not liking each other. I've been really lucky to to not really be in any of those situations. When I came in in the NBL when I was 17 I had an unbelievable group of guys for for three years. Like I said, my time in Europe, even in Granada we were this tiny team. We had probably the first one of the first teams that I didn't really know anyone going to and made some really good friends and and still speak to guys. I speak to guys from every team I've played on still. So, um, yeah, I've been, been pretty lucky in that situation.
3: I don't know if you have following it, but the NCAA in college is talking about letting these college kids make some money off their likenesses, whether it's through advertising or whatever it might be. And my thought for you, you talk about how you turned professional at 17, and all of a sudden you're getting this money. And I'm wondering, you know, unintended consequences. These kids are going to get some money here coming up. But if they don't have some counsel on in terms of how to take care of the money how to use it you know it could just blow up in their face did you have anybody who helped you how to handle finances when you go from being a kid to being paid as an adult even though you're still a kid
5: yeah i did um i think it's uh it's a funny one i think you learn lessons through your own mistakes or um or achievement if if you're able to do something really good with your, your money or whatever um I was lucky like I said that, that even at my first three years in the NBL in Australia um, I was the youngest on the team I was 17 when I first got to the team the, I think the next youngest guy was like 23 or something so I was the youngest by a, a fair bit so they were all kind of married and had kids and I was like you absolute losers like, <laughs> who wants to get married and have kids and like all these restrictions on?" Like, um, but looking back now it was like the best thing in the world because I I felt like I grew up a lot quicker. Obviously, the, the basketball side of it, playing against men for me was was what I think helped me develop quicker than maybe going to college. Um, but just the I don't know the the life <laughs> um, stuff that we would talk about, the regular stuff, the, what they were doing investment wise. Um, a part of that was those guys just being around them and listening to them and seeing um, had ten year vets, fifteen year vets that had all different investments, properties and businesses and stuff like that, so getting to listen to them and then uh, part of it too is just my learning along the way yourself and um, I, I mean, I got paid very well for a, a teenager my first three years in the NBL and after three years of playing, I had, I didn't have a dollar to my name and I had one one couch from Ikea that was probably my only asset that I had and um, I don't even know if you can call, call it an asset, but it I signed in, in Granada and I was like man like I was making a lot better money because it was tax free and I was like man, I really need to like sort my life out a little bit like I'm 21 now and um, I need to be smart with my money and um, previously to that not that I I wasn't smart I wasn't doing like crazy I wasn't doing like drugs and but like, it was just I was young and I had a bit of money and I would just spend it and I would, I'd take my friends out for dinner and I'd go and have some drinks with friends and I'd always pay and I wanted to to be that guy because I had more money than what my friends did at the time. Um, But I learned a quick lesson after realizing what I kind of lost in those three years that I needed to to start saving and being smart. That was when I bought my first property, 21, 22 years old. And um, yeah, it was kind of the start of the, the journey, I guess.
0: So you look back and you think, okay, I made I made some mistakes, but I did listen to these older guys and, uh, you know, I, I got to a pretty good place pretty quickly. Now as you get older, you're like, these young kids, I try to tell them and they don't listen to me. Is there some of that? Or do you find the younger players are absorbing these lessons and uh, you're able to kind of pass it on?
4: Uh,
5: a little bit. I'm, I'm obviously more than happy to, to sit down and talk to them and actually um, so had a – me, I – who sits next to me at the locker room, um, he knows my, well most of my team know my obsession with real estate. You can pretty much ask any of them and I'm sitting on a real estate app on my phone looking at property pretty much all day every day and um, he was sitting there asking questions about it and, and obviously I'm, I'm more than willing to, to help. I don't know a ton about the, the US property market. Um, Got my my house here in Utah, but that's that it. And I, I I'm not going to invest in property here because I'm, I'm not going to live here. But um, yeah, I'm obviously more than happy to, to help out. But like I said, my main kind of thing is, is property, and um, obviously more in Australia. But um, if guys want to ask questions, I'm obviously going to help. And um, for me, like like used to listening to these guys and just seeing what 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 they had and what they didn't have and wanting to be like them back then and, and thinking if I'm on this wage and the be older and I'm making now like this is what they've done I'll be able to do something similar and obviously I've been very lucky to, to be in a, a different position now but um, yeah it was still the same thought process the whole time and, and still is now really doesn't matter obviously I can look at property that's <laughs> probably a little bit more expensive or, or I can look at more property but I still don't go over the top with what I do I, I buy stuff that um, is really reasonable that I can get good money back or rent and um, yeah it's been something I've really enjoyed doing
3: so as you dip into real estate and you're talking about how it's mostly uh, exclusively Australia as opposed to the US well what counsel would you have for people who would like to do that and find ways to build up their equity and their financial situation
5: I think you've got a I think one of the hardest thing for me when I first did it was at 21-22 was um <laughs> going to the bank and getting a loan and I I still remember the, the first time I went in there to ask for a loan and how much I was asking for and what I was making at the time and I was like man I don't know like it's going to take me my whole lifetime to, to pay back like it's um and I think that daunting feeling of um for me it was like I, I don't I hate debt I hate being in debt I hate owing people money if I do I hate um I hate being in debt to the bank um but it's a it's part of life. It's, I was talking to a friend the other day and they bought their house and what you end up paying back in interest compared to what you actually settled on the price of the house, you, pay, you end up paying so much more money. Is sometimes nearly double what you pay or, or whatever for the house. So, um, yeah, I think overcoming the, for me, it was like the fear factor of, of being in debt and then... Um, obviously if you're financially stable and you know what your income is and it's consistent, you can um, you can obviously offset that pretty easily and and know what you can spend and what you need to save. But um, yeah, I think diving into it and um, kind of not looking back, you obviously got to do your research because you don't want to buy a property that you're going to lose money on or you can't rent out or whatever it is. So you are got to find the right areas and the right price and um, a part of that is not being in a rush. Uh, I've been very lucky that I'm not not a quick guy anyway, but I've never been in a rush buying property and I've, I've been able to do some some really good deals and, and get some really good deals. So um, yeah, I think uh, overcoming that fear of, of, of diving into it, because it's, sort of, it's, a, it's a big thing. You, you go to the bank and tell them you need $500,000 and it's gonna, you see how much your payments are and the, the loans over 30 years or whatever it is. and um, it looks like it's never going to end, but you can you can do a lot once you kind of dive in.
0: Well, I didn't know we were going to go to business school with Joe Ingalls
5: today, but that was good. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's a, like I said, it's a, for me, it's been like a side hobby, obviously. Um, and don't get me wrong, I understand. I'm in a, a very good position to to be able to do that um, and be able to look and not, not stress as much now about my repayments or whatever. Um, so I, I understand everyone's not in the same situation, but um, I know a lot of people, that friends and, and family, that have, have made a lot of money off real estate. And I'm not telling everyone to buy real estate because I don't want to hear your messages of something if you, something goes wrong. Because I'm not saying that, but if that's what you want to do and you do your You're researching that. I've got friends that have three, four, five properties, and they they work a regular nine-to-five job on a a very average wage. So, um, yeah, it definitely could be done if you've got the right kind of people and information around you. Well,
0: Joe, as always, we appreciate a few minutes, and now uh, you're probably exhausted. You probably ought to go take a nap and work on that sleep and stay fully rested.
5: No, I'm going straight down to the gym now. So get my workout in and then, Work on my suntan for the rest of the day, probably. <laughs> okay. I actually well, got burned the other day. I got burned in like, it was like four or five days ago. I don't know what it was in Fahrenheit. It was like 17 degrees Celsius, which I don't know what that is, maybe 40s, 50s or something. Um, and we were outside for a little bit with the kids playing out in the playground, and I came inside, and <laughs> I was like, my neck and arms are all red, and I'm actually peeling my nose. Which- just shows you uh, how little my skin has seen the sun. Yeah,
0: yeah. My wife was right about this. Put aloe on it, and uh, that'll oh, I've got uh, lessen
5: the burn. You should see the big ass tub of aloe there <laughs> next to my sink in the bathroom right now.
3: They do have this thing called sunscreen, Joe. I don't know if they got it down under, but we got it up here.
5: Well, we put it on the kids, obviously, and I didn't <laughs> honestly think it was was that hot outside. Like it was nice. Obviously, the sun was out. Um, our backyard gets a lot of sun, which is, is really good, but I just, and then the next day we were going to go out and, my, and Miller was like, Daddy, you need to put sunscreen on. And I was like, I know, Miller, I put it on you. I just didn't put it on myself.
0: <laughs> the kids are uh, raising you. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Thanks. My three-year-old. <laughs> and the worst part is she's right.
5: <laughs> yeah. I know. I was like, Miller, sh- damn it. Shut up. I know. <laughs>
0: All right, Joe, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Gus. There's Joe Ingalls coming up next. What is trending? All the headlines are on the way.